Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to do a brief recap on the key points that we've discussed in the last couple of weeks concerning the subject of unlocking the promises of God. And then today we're going to look at one portion of scripture and we're going to spend our entire time there uh, after that. I want to remind you first and foremost of the key scripture that we have, that I've been using, that I've been drawing from in this teaching series. And that comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2, and we're going to read up to verse 4 today. And it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's take a moment and just pray over this. Father, I want to thank you that as we sit and we remember and we, we go over this portion of scripture again, as we look back on the things that you have taught us over the past few weeks, Lord God, I want to thank you afresh that your promises call us and they woo us and they draw us into the very nature of Jesus Christ. They draw us to experience the greatness of your love and your compassion and to be transformed by them, that we may be conduits of that very love and compassion to the world around us. God, I want to thank you that this Christian walk, this walk of discipleship, that we ha- that life that we get to live in and with you is an experiential one. It's not theoretic. It's theoretical. It's not just some, some interesting story in a book, but God, it is powerful and it is experiential. And I pray, Lord God, that you would take our level of experience to another dimension to another height that we may know you in a in in different and in new and in powerful ways as you work in and through our hearts and lives lord god we commit to you this word this morning move in our hearts lord god draw us nearer and woo us in in jesus name i pray amen okay so some of the key points that i want to recap on and the reason i want to recap is because I want to restage the the, the context in which we are going to read our main portion of scripture this morning. So a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the fact that knowing about God's promises is not the same as living in them or experiencing them. Many believers, many believers know about God's promises. They have an idea of what God's word says concerning many things, but their experience is far short. Revelation knowledge is the key that unlocks the power and the potential of those promises in our lives. Not just a head knowledge of them, but a revelation or an experiential knowledge that comes through an encounter with God. It comes only through intimate relationship with Christ because he himself is the promiser. He is the promise and he is the fulfillment of that promise. It is all wrapped up in him. And it's all the promises of God. That's why they say in him are yes 
and in him amen because all of this is wrapped up in our messiah king jesus christ also we spoke about the fact that intimacy with christ genuine intimacy bears christ-like fruit in our lives in other words there's evidence of the effectual working of his promises in our lives evidence last week we we went on from there and we spoke how god's big big that how god's promises are an invitation into a pre-existing reality that is higher than ours so it's this wooing and this calling into this relationship that we can experience the fullness that is in it and of it we also spoke about the fact that god's promises are deeply personal to him they're an expression of his nature and of his love for us again it's personal it's deeply rooted in the person of jesus christ and they express his love and his nature to us you know very often i think even in the way we we talk uh, about the promises of god it's like there's something that is out there that we must lay hold of or attain or gain uh you know and, and perhaps muster up faith to get there but they're not a thing that is separated from our relationship and from our intimacy with god they come through and are experienced in and manifested out of that place of relationship and intimacy they are deeply personal to god because the promises are made in one in one sense very generally but in another sense very personally you see where a promise goes from general to personal is where it changes from being knowledge about something to something which is experiential to me god has promised that to me god wants to do this or show himself strong in my life in this particular area it's very personal and because of that it the, a measure of meekness or willingness to change or to learn or to repent is required um, and again we ended last week with saying that apathy gets you nowhere and that's why we we ended off the week saying what are the areas of my life where i want to see a greater level of an experience of god's promises and how do i get there what needs to happen what are the changes that i need to make i'm going to ask the question again and i pray that this week it will gain momentum in your heart it should be our question every single day god this is my situation this is where i am this is how i'm seeing things what in me needs to change isn't that the prayer of a heart of meekness before God. God, what do you want from me? What do you want for me? What do you want in me? And our willingness to God to 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 come into into that wonderful realization, because the realization of the promises of God are the realization of the person of God, of His goodness, of His favor, of His grace to us and within our lives. And what I want to focus on today is the fruit of that experience not just in our in, in what we get out of it but i want to focus today on the heart attitude of gratitude towards god for the incredible promises that he has given us in and through his son and that he continues to lavish over us every single day that he continues to call us up to and into genuine gratitude gratitude is the cure for indifference in the life of the believer you know sometimes we become indifferent what does that mean it's just another thing we can become indifferent to sunday services Ugh, i like them i don't like them i could be there i would be there i should be there we have a sort of indifferent attitude to god 
But when we stop and really take a moment to think, when we remember, when we cast aside the familiarity of the message, yes, Jesus died for my sins, and we actually take time to think about the cost, to think about the things that Jesus did for you and for me, surely true, genuine gratitude should come from our hearts. A gratitude that is, is more than just lip service, a gratitude that is more than just acknowledging information, but a gratitude that really leads us on and leads us into a heart reorientation to give God that which he is due, to give God that which he is worthy of. Genuine gratitude comes from the realization that I have gotten what I don't deserve and what I could never attain on my own. Think about that. That's true gratitude. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm thankful for some things I have in my life, but I could have gotten them on my own. I'm grateful for the thought and I'm grateful for the sentiment or the, the effort that has gone into it. But real deep heart gratitude comes when I've, I've been delivered from something. I've been given something freely that I, number one, could never get on my own. I could never make that possible for myself in a million years, no matter how hard I tried. It is beyond the scope of my gifts and abilities. And secondly, that I simply don't deserve. I mean, if you've gotten something you just don't deserve, what does that do to your heart? How does that change your heart? It changes it in a, in a magnificent way. But yet this is the state of all of us before God. When confronted with his promises and with his goodness, our heart attitude should be one of absolute, incredible gratitude because he gives us and has brought us into something that is far greater than we could ever have attained on our own, ever. It is impossible. And that certainly, folks, we do not deserve it. Speaking for the past couple of weeks on the promises of God, I was reminded, or to, you know, as I'm meditating on it, I'm reminded of how often we focus on that which we don't have, on that which we don't experience, and yet so little on so little time thanking God for that which we do have and that which we do experience. And so, yes, there are things that God wants to draw us into. But where do we come from? Where do we start? We begin with that which is already real in our hearts. And we give God true heart praise, true heart thanks, true honor and glory. And that's what I want to speak about today. So I, I, I want to read it to you a psalm by, by God's favorite worship leader ever. But since I'm not quoted in the Bible, we're going to look at one that David wrote in Psalm 103. And I want to ask you to please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Doesn't matter what translation you have. Um, in fact, I'm reading from the New King James, but if you have something different, that's okay. It'll make your experience a little richer, uh, a little fuller, and that's great. But all I'm going to do with you today is I'm going to take the psalm that was written by David a man who knew God in times of war, in times of fear, when he was fearing and running for his life. He knew God as a shepherd. He knew God as a king. He knew God as an outlaw. Um, and in every season of his life, even in dealing with his sin, God was an ever-present fixture in this man's life and not somebody who was sort of pushed to the side, but really he was the wind in David's sails. This psalm, people don't know, there's the, you know the, it's not clear exactly the context in which it was written, but most people 
believe that it was probably a little bit later on in his life based on some of the thoughts and how clear some of these things have become to him. But I want us to journey through the psalm together. We'll, we'll stop just about every verse and I'll have a few things to share with you. And in doing so, I'm hoping that I'm arming you this morning. I'm giving you some something that you can take in your quiet time with the Lord tomorrow morning and perhaps every morning this week, something that you can sit with and use as a tool for, for, for expressing gratitude and praise and thanksgiving to God. I mean, that's what the word of God should be for us. And so here is just one example of many, many in the Bible, one that has really blessed my heart. It's one of my favorite Psalms, this one. And it starts off this way, Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. In this first verse, David is talking to himself. He's talking to his, to his flesh, to his soul, saying, soul, rise up and bless the Lord. Don't be apathetic. Don't be half-hearted. Don't just carry on with your day. But right now, in this moment, bless the Lord. He's calling on himself to do more. It's almost as, also as though David is saying, never mind the things that need to be done. Never mind what anybody else is doing or what everybody else is saying. Never mind what's going on out there. You, you Michael, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. He's instructing and he's encouraging himself. And he also says, bless God with everything. You know, not in a half-hearted way. But in this moment, give yourself completely to the Lord. Through some of the prep that I've done, I've come across a quote by somebody called Morgan, who said, the singer addresses himself. He realizes that he has power over himself, that he is able to give or withhold that which is due to God. Isn't that beautiful? I choose whether or not God gets praise in my life. And the truth of my experience, and I'm sure in yours as well, is that I do not always feel like giving God praise. But I've also come to realize that my feelings do not determine the worthiness of God of my praise. God is worthy whether I feel like it or not. Maybe David was encouraged in this moment. Maybe he was having a bad day. But one thing we know is that David was saying to himself, my soul, all that I am, I will praise. I will bless the Lord. And he carries on to say, again, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a Hebrew poetic and a psalmic um, instrument for emphasis, this repetition. And forget not all his benefits. I love that. In other words, don't be so preoccupied with what you're doing, with where you're going, with what you need and with what you want, that you forget about all that you already have, about God's faithfulness and his goodness to you. Forget not. In other words, in, forget not what God has, has promised you in terms of what you already experience. But also, I want to say, forget not all his benefits that still lie ahead of you. Forget not that God is leading you in this wonderful journey of discovering his love and his grace. That which you have discovered, be grateful for. That which you have yet to discover, be excited for. But whatever you do, don't forget about his, the, the wonderful benefits of, of being a child or, or in relationship with God. The other thing about this, this word forget not 
it speaks of the fact that David's praise is founded on something that is far, far greater than just pure emotion. We know David loved God, but he worshipped and praised God with his emotions but, and with all his heart, but also with his mind. This is logical or rational praise to, to, to reason within your own heart the worthiness of God and to give him what he is due. Charles Spurgeon says this begins a series of great benefits God brings to his believing people. He selects a few of the choicest pearls from the casket of divine love, threads them on a string of memory, and hangs them about the neck of gratitude. I love that. I thought that is beautiful. He's so, so David is now about to go into a list of some of these wonderful benefits of serving God. And Spurgeon says he selects a few of the choicest pearls. In other words, those things that are nearest and dearest to him. And he threads them on a string of memory and hangs them about the neck of gratitude. You know, as you read through the psalm with your own prayerful heart, maybe there are specific things that you want to thank God for. Ways that he has come through for you in mighty and wonderful ways. It's good to, to remember uh, these things and to reflect on them. You know, this week, I was so, so, so touched and so moved, surprisingly so. I was had the privilege of being a part of an online meeting where individuals were sharing their encounters with God. Moments in their lives where God came through and provided either encouragement or grace, came through with a word that set them free, a word that altered the course of their life and their destiny. And I listened to these words and I was so moved. I was so emotional at the goodness and the kindness of God. The fact that it is unearned or undeserved blows my mind. It is it, 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 add, it amplifies the goodness and the greatness of God. I was so moved and so touched. And I was my heart was just filled with such gratitude towards God. So it's very good for us not to forget not to forget all the things that God has done. And here's the first thing he mentions, who forgives all your iniquities. Forgiven. See, this is first on the, on the list. And when he does it, he does it without any lingering resentment. You know, I think very often our form of or, or thinking about forgiveness is, yes, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Well, God is not like that. He doesn't hold on to any form of resentment. When he forgives, he forgives completely and he forgives all of my iniquities. He doesn't say, yeah, I'll forgive, but you know what, this area, I can't tolerate that. You have to sort that out. He just is lavishing, generous and in, in forgiveness over our lives. And who heals all your diseases, he, he goes on to say. In other words, complete healing, not just forgiveness of the inside. He doesn't just take care of that which goes on inside my heart, but even in my body, even the things that ail me in the natural, he heals them. He binds them up. He brings forth healing. It's, it's a beautiful expectation that David has of God, that he will come through in such wonderful experiential ways. He goes on to say in verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction. You know what this portion of scripture reminds me of? When I was a kid, probably about 12, 13 years old, I had an older cousin who I adored. He was, uh, he was cool and he was all these things and, and he body he, he was a bodyboarder 
and I got one of his old bodyboards and I went out bodyboarding with him one day and we were out in the Melkbos area near a place called Oskip and uh, the, the, the swell was pretty big that day I'd say between four to six foot there were some big waves out there really nice uh, nice flow but probably bigger than I'd ever handled before and a bit big for my level of experience but what I found when I looked out you know from the beach is there was a section where the waves weren't so big so I thought well I'm going to paddle out this side and then come across well anybody who understands the sea knows that there's probably a good reason why that particular area doesn't have big waves that's because a river was coming out just there there was an outlet a very small stream but it was enough to cause a rip and so what happened is I climbed into that rip and got ushered way out to sea, way past the breakers. The next thing I turn around and I see I'm, I'm hundreds of meters from the shore and I start paddling back and paddling back and paddling back and I'm going nowhere. I'm putting all my effort in and I keep moving backwards and backwards and backwards. It was terrifying. I didn't know what to do. Nothing that I was trying was getting me back to shore. At the time, my dad was standing on the beach and he sees his son out there and he sees that I'm in trouble and there's nothing he can do for me either. Except when my cousin caught a wave that came in fairly close to shore, he called him and he said, Mark, Michael's out there. He's, he's caught. Can you go help him? And my cousin, who was far more experienced, went out on his board, came out to me, took me across the beach, out of the rip and brought me back into shore. Well, the wave that I caught into shore was the only wave I caught that day, and it was the only wave I caught for quite some time after that. It was, I you could say, a traumatic experience. I would say it's a sobering experience. But the reason that I, I liken this, this scripture to that experience in my life is because my cousin brought me out of a terrible end that day. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be here sharing this with you this morning. Um, and I just, you know, it harkens back memories of that fear deep inside my heart. You know, Jesus Christ has redeemed you and I from a terrible end. Destruction is destruction. It's not brokenness. It's not being cracked. It's being destroyed. And our own selfish lives and things bring us to that place of complete destruction, wanting to do things our way, wanting to go and, and choose the path of least resistance as I was doing often leads us to a place of destruction. And that day, I was brought out of it. And I think about the scripture that Jesus came to our rescue. He came to our situation, brought himself into where we were to redeem us and buy us back from a terrible end. But not only that, the second part of that verse says, and he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now, crown represents honor. It repre represents legitimacy or recognition. A crown represents favor and authority. You see, our experience of God's loving kindness, our experiences, they're like jewels in a crown that he places on our heads, the crown of favor. So not only does he bring us out of a terrible end that we, that we deserve, but he brings us to this place where we are crowned by him. A legitimate crown that no man can take away from us because it's bestowed by the king of kings himself. And it is adorned with his loving kindness, with his favor, with his grace, with his adoration of you and of me as we are. It's incredible. 
forgives our iniquities. He redeems us. He heals us. He strips us of all that is perverted and broken and crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. And then he says, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see, when he talks about satisfying your mouth with good things, most of us think of, of what goes in. Well, that's part of it. But you know what? He also satisfies our mouth with good things in terms of the stuff that comes out of our mouths. The words that we speak that produce life now instead of death. He gives us a song of praise. He gives us a song of worship. The fruit of our, our lips, out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth speaks. And out of that abundant praise and worship, we generate and create a realm and an atmosphere of Christ-like fruitfulness in our hearts and lives. But it'll, it's not just about the good things. He says, he satisfies you. The, the good things of God bring true satisfaction. They're not passing pleasures or momentary experiences. They they renew us. They strengthen us. He says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isn't that beautiful? So he, he gives us a satisfaction that feeds us. You know, I often think of, the, of what Pastor Andreas says, and I'm learning more and more. I certainly haven't arrived, but I'm learning more and more to understand what he's talking about when he says, I don't understand why people need holidays. I rest as I go. I've learned to live from that place of rest where I spend time in the presence of God and he strengthens me. He nourishes me. Isaiah says that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In other words, the reality is this. We think we need a physical break and a physical separation from things for physical strength. What God says is all you need is me because time spent in my spirit is so powerful that it will affect you physically. Not just internally, it begins there. But what happens inside you is so powerful that it, it affects you physically. And what I really love about these first few verses is the repetition of the word who. who and it and points us again and again to the very personal and relationship re, relational nature of God. You see, David is listing the benefits here, but he doesn't just point to the benefits. He points again and again and again to the one who lavishes them upon us. God is the one who does these things. Let's carry on. Verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So here we see David zooming out a little bit. And he sees God's goodness not just to himself, but to others too. Spurgeon again, I'll quote him. He says, our own personal obligations must not absorb our song. We must also magnify the Lord for his goodness to others. Now, in reading the psalm, we see the benefit for ourselves. It is good to give thanks for what we have. But if, if we understand and if we zoom out a little bit, we see that God's heart will always point us towards those who don't, who don't have, who don't experience what we experience in and through Christ Jesus. And thereby he empowers us to go and be a messenger of grace and of blessing to them. Verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. We see this God who constantly longs to, to show himself, to bless, to deliver, to, um, to favor and prosper. But there's a difference here in this portion of scripture that is stark. And I only really realized that the last couple of weeks. 
He made known his ways to Moses, but he made known his acts to the children of Israel. What's the difference? The difference is that Moses longed for intimacy with God, and therefore God showed him his ways. Not just what he can do, but why and the how God is. He gave him his character, his nature, the essence of who he was. But for the children of Israel who were apathetic, they only got to see what God can do. Many believers marvel at the things that God can do. They believe God has done them. Now, this is good. But those who truly know God marvel at the greatness of the God who does these things. Not just the greatness of the works that this God does. They go beyond the wow, look at what God did to the, why would a God do something like that for me? Why would God reach out and, and be so gracious in the situation? Their hearts go beyond the act, the, the gift, the blessing to the giver and the heart behind all of that. They've learned how to magnify the person rather than the, the thing, the origin, the source rather than the expression thereof it and these are the ones to whom god reveals his heart not just his works but his heart verse 8 the lord is merciful and gracious he is slow to anger and abounding in mercy in a nutshell in other words he's not peevish he's not you know looking for a reason to 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 get upset with us he's not peevish he's gracious Verse 9, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. I like the way the Message Bible puts this. It says he doesn't endlessly nag and scold and hold grudges. In other words, God's heart's desire is to, is to make up. It's to find a place of intimacy where hearts can be shared, where promises, his promises can be realized. Verse 10, he's not dealt with us according to our own sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty glad I haven't gotten from God what I deserve from God. That in and of itself fills my heart with gratitude, with real praise at the greatness of God's mercy. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. You know, the other night we had some load shedding in Cape Town. And... Um, I went outside to go and check the front gates and everything were closed properly before I went to bed. And while I was outside, everything was obviously pitch black. And I, I took a moment and I turned off my torch and I looked up. And the one, the one positive that comes out of load shedding is that we get a whole new perspective on the stars above us. Without the light, without that residue light around us, I could clearly see the Milky Way. I could see multitudes of stars that I can't normally see with my naked eye because we live in the middle of of, of uh, you know suburbia but i sat and i looked and i wondered and i thought about the vastness of the universe of even just our galaxy the greatness of god and yet this verse says that as the heavens are high above the earth so great so great is his mercy towards those who fear him you know we should never lose our sense of wonder as we gaze up in the sky and 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 it is here for those who fear him. You know, the fear of God is the usher of sobriety. It brings us to a, a sober realization of our state and our place. And it's just the greatness of it. Let's move on. Um, I don't want to linger too long because I see where the time is already. I can't believe it. 
Verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. East and west are a continuous loop. They cannot, you know, no matter where you are in the world, there's east and there's west. It's, in other words, there's this unfathomable distance. There's this length that is, you, you cannot make it smaller and you cannot make it, it's infinite. That's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. And verse 13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. This word fear, I need to just spend a moment talking about it. You know, God's mercy is the same over all humanity. Jesus came to save the whole world, but only those who fear him will experience it. It's a little bit like if you, if you walk into a restaurant, that restaurant is open to anybody. Anybody can go to that restaurant, but you might arrive and there's some tables that are reserved. Those who have made contact are able to reserve a place within that restaurant. They, they are assured an experience because they've, they've, they've reserved their place. They've made real contact with that. And sure, God's mercy is available to all mankind. But it's the fear of God. It's the, it's the awe of him. It's the awe of that mercy which reserves us a place within it. If that mercy has no level of respect or, or awe within our hearts, we would not become partakers thereof. We, we would not sit at the table to eat of its, of its goodness. But he says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He acknowledges their weakness, in other words, and he steps in with his strength. He's compassionate towards our state. Verse 14, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Does us good to remember that sometimes. As for man, his days are like grass as a flower of the field. So he flourishes, but the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. You know, it's hard for me to kind of get my head around the fact that I'm already 40. I still feel like I'm 20 years old. Until I hang out around people who are 20 years old, then I feel like I'm 40 again quite quickly. But in other words, this life is a fleeting thing. It goes by very quickly. Verse 17, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments and do them. And again, we just see the contrast here between knowing about God's covenant and walking in it. Those who know God's word and those who are obedient to it. Those who have heard God's promises and those who experience them. The Lord has established his throne forever and his kingdom rules over all. So David zooms out further and it's just over everything Jesus is Lord. And then he comes to the end of this incredible psalm of of remembering the promises, the goodness, and the faithfulness of God. And his response is the same. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, you all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, and in all spaces of his dominion. And then finally, once again, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. These last few verses paint a picture of a great symphony of praise, all declaring the kindness and the great greatness of God. You know, a symphony, if you're a part of a symphony, 
or a part of an orchestra, you have a part to play in the bigger picture. You might even have a solo within that bigger picture, but it is, it is never all about you. We have the, and it's the same in Christianity. Some people approach Christianity like a solo artist. It's all about us and God is all about us. No, God has called us to be a part of this wonderful, magnificent, eternal symphony. And it's a wonder, it, it ought to be a wonderful and a sobering reminder of the privilege that we have been given in being this partakers of all of this. And this is the glorious experience that God invites you and I into through the promises that he has made for us. This is just a simple example of a few or a list of a few examples that David brings to mind. But I want to encourage you to sit and to think and to meditate on what God has done for you, what Jesus has done for you, what he's made available for, for you, and to use it as inspiration for your praise and as fuel for your faith. You see, David ends the psalm in the same way he begins. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. And I believe, folks, for you and I, that is a conversation we ought to have with ourselves far more often. Remembering. It's one thing to, 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 to just talk about God's promises as though they're out there. But I really want to bring home to you today the nearness of God's promises and the experiences that you've already had of his presence, of his kindness and his goodness. And to allow those to shift your heart into a space of deep gratitude and deep thanks to God. That in itself will be the rocket fuel for the next level. That in itself is, is the enabler for where it is that God wants to take you. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.